You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky Films and Why We Frickin' Love Them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. So this week we are looking at one of our uh, occasional double bills. We are looking at the Black Swan versus the Red Shoes in the Battle of Bali Senju Dulali. Which one is weirder? Which one is more wonderful? First of all, we're looking at The Black Swan, directed by Dan Aronofsky in 2010. It stars Natalie Portman as Nina, Mila Kunis as Lily, Vincent Cassel as Thomas, Barbara Hershey as Erica, who's Nina's mother, and Winona Ryder as Beth, the previous prima ballerina. Tell us a bit about it, Gary. So, uh, Natalie Portman plays Nina, a young ballerina at the New York City Ballet. Nina has a domineering and overprotective mother and a desperate desire to play the dual role of White Swan Odette and Black Swan Odile in the ballet's forthcoming production of Swan Lake. The artistic director rejects Nina because he insists that while she perfectly captures the White Swan, she fails to convey the darkness of the Black Swan. He then makes a move on her which would appear to make sex with him a condition of being cast in the role. Nina is somewhat surprised when the next day's cast list has her name written by the the Swan Queen, which is Odette and Odile. The former prima ballerina, Beth, accuses Nina of giving sexual favours in order to get the part. The next day, Beth is involved in a car crash. Beth will never dance ballet again due to the injuries to her legs. A new dancer called Lily arrives. Thomas is struck by her, that's the uh, artistic director, and makes her Nina's understudy. Despite being th- feeling threatened by Lily, Nina accepts an invitation to go out on the town with Lily, who persuades Nina to take ecstasy for the first time and then seduces her in the home she shares with horrified mum. The next morning, Lily has disappeared. Nina arrives at dress rehearsal to find Lily dancing as the, wi- as the Swan Queen. Nina accuses Lily of sabotaging her to take over as the Swan Queen. Lily denies ever having sex with Nina, insisting that she went home with a man. Nina descends into paranoid hallucinations and her mother tries to stop her performing on opening night, believing that the role has damaged her mental health. Meanwhile, as Nina is late to the theatre, Lily has taken over Nina's role. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, what's wrong with this picture? I think it is a really great depiction of a creeping madness. And right from the start, there's a kind of an emphasis on the physical and the and the bodily. So we see Nina's foot as a ballet dancer and it's beaten and broken the way that ballet dancers' feet must be. They go through such punishment. Um, later on, we'll see her nails falling out, her skin peeling off. And the more kind of physical disintegration there is, the bigger picture there is of Nina's mental uh, disintegration. So on the one hand, it's a it's it's a it's a ballet film, but it's very gruesome. Actually, it does have quite a lot of kind of blood and gore and just the details of someone's body, not necessarily violent gore, but the details of someone someone's body, like skin peeling off a finger or or, mm. or blood. Yeah, I, th- I I think the cleverness of the film, the cleverness of the script, and the idea revolves around the fact that, that Aronofsky's managed to tell a tale of, about ballet and ambition and blah, 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 in the context of body horror. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think as well, the the other horror of this is the kind of, the very smothering mother relationship that, that Erica, who's played by a great Barbara Hershey, actually, that Erica has over, over Nina. So at one point, to try and instill the kind of, the sexiness and the evil that the, the black uh, swan yeah, needs. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thomas suggests that, uh, Nina goes home and touches herself. So she gets masturbation homework, which, you know, don't we all yeah. have a bit of homework? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she goes home and, and she dutifully does this masturbation homework mm. only to kind of stop mid-flick and realise that Erica is lying asleep in her room. Yeah. Um, so she has no privacy at home. But is she? 
Is she asleep, do you mean? No, is she even there? That's true. And that that's the other thing is is what is real and what's not real yeah. in this film. Yeah, and he sets this up brilliantly. You know, at the beginning, it feels, oh, it feels very authentic what you're watching. Yeah. You know, you're being told it's authentic tale. And more and more, as the, as the tale goes on, you're thinking... But is any of this actually happening yeah. anywhere except Nina's head? Absolutely. So the, the whole the whole notion of Swan Lake apparently is the duality. Yeah. This, this white queen and this, uh, sorry, the white swan and the black swan and how one dancer needs to be able to embody both. So in light of that, all throughout this film, there are doubles and models and, yeah. and opposites. And so doppelgangers. A and... doppelgangers. So there's obviously Nina versus Lily. Nina often wears kind of white or very muted colours. Lily yeah. wears black. Uh, there's Nina and Beth, yeah. the previous prima ballerina, and the, yeah. the links between them, and how Nina kind of wishes she was Beth at one point, and lo and yeah. behold, she becomes yeah. the Beth type figure. Yeah. There's Nina and her mother Erica. So Erica was also a dancer, yeah. but never made it past the core to ballet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas Nina is a, a star, and also the, the, there's a double of Nina. And Nina herself, because mm. she sees herself in a lot of places. She sees herself, she passes herself on the street. Or she looks in the mirror, and it's that old gag, but it's done very effectively. Yeah, yeah. The mirror reflection, in the end, is not doing what she is doing. They are two kind of separate, yeah. different people. And sometimes that mirror reflection becomes Lily as well. So that notion of duality is kind of all the way through the film. Actually, Lindsay, I wanted to ask at this point, do, how, how spoilery are we going to be with the, with the Black Swan? Because... It's the end is is yeah the best part right yeah the last twenty minutes or I so? think I think we might have to go into to detail on the end yeah I think um, I think the ending is is key to this because yeah. it's the, the culmination of everything really but just on the mirrors I saw on the extras on the um, DVD I had that Dan Aronofsky was saying mirrors are key to this and there are mm. tons of mirrors in the films yeah. I don't know if you if yes. you remember that yeah. I mean, one, that's more opportunities for madness for Nina because every mirror brings something to her in terms of her mental disintegration. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, Arnofsky was saying, ballet dancers look at themselves in the mirror the all the time. time. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're, yeah. they're rehearsing, they've got to check their lines, they've got to check their movements, how they look, um, and, and just that notion of kind of constantly checking in with what their body's doing. Yeah. But the mirror, I just, oh, I just thought about this. This wasn't in my notes. Yeah. The okay. mirror, the mirrors for Nina are not about checking in on her physically. They're about check, her checking in on herself mentally. Yeah. And okay. every time that she looks sense. in a mirror, she's worse off than she was before. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. And I, I guess while we're talking about what's weird as opposed to what's just great about this film, um, one of my favourite scenes comes towards the end, and it is a brilliant practical i think not cgi effect i'm not quite sure how they pulls it off but you may know lindsay um but this incredible scene where she's basically it's short as well he doesn't you know kick the hell out of it uh her body breaks in two. Oh yeah yeah and and you just hear the bones cracking and the and the shape that she suddenly is is just incredible and then bang he's out of there yeah you know no no oh look what i've done look how clever this is it's just like bang and um and of course in the next scene that's not happened to her at all yeah, yeah. um it's 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 brilliant don't you think yeah that seems really interesting because the physical metamorphosis that's happening to her is that she considers she's turning into a swan and this yeah. is the story of swan lake and uh arnofsky kind of wasn't aware of this and he, he went to see the ballet and said to somebody oh so what's this about she turns into a swan and this light bulb goes off for him and he's like oh it's a were swan movie <laughs> so you know she she starts this um scratches that are on her so yeah the self-harm yeah, yeah yeah so you know she she uh her mum cuts her nails because she has this history of self-harm but these scratches on her shoulder in her mind are the kind of wing nubs they're her right. wings. Okay. They're her I did wings. not pick that up. Did you not? Oh, so Lily, her, okay. her double, has, or maybe she doesn't, has wings tattooed on her shoulders. She has yeah, black wings tattooed does. on her yes, shoulders. absolutely. Nina's going one better. She's going to have the real thing. So in her mind, her feet start to become webbed. She starts yeah. to get these nub nub wings. Yeah. But I was, I was talking about the uh, kind of digital and the practical effects that they yeah. have. So at one point, she's cutting her nails in the mirror and... The next thing, she's kind of cutting the tip of her finger off, and it's mm. it's quite well done. It is yeah. just literally, um, her hand goes 
comes back, it's a prosthetic hand and she cuts it off. And I saw in the making of kind of how they did it and they just do it fast. It's yeah, just one yeah. of those, her hand goes, her hand appears and there's no CGI, there's no digital kind of trickery involved. It is just a big rubber hand that she cuts. Yeah, I think the biggest uh, compliment you can pl- pay to um, Aronofsky and his team is that you you can't tell which which effects are practical or which effects are CGI unless you're really, really you know, going to sit there and study it and make a big nerdy thing about it. I, I think, um, I think on the whole, you're, you're caught up in this tale um, and sitting there picking through which bits are CGI yeah. and which bit, because, because that, I think as a viewer, no matter how nerdy you are, you only start doing that if you're not really liking the film. I think, I think that's possibly true. There was, there's one bit I really, really do like, which is, uh, I think a great digital effect and it's a, it's towards the end so she's appearing in in Swan Lake this is the actual ballet is going on and she has become the black swan character and she twirls across the the stage with this beautiful twirling motion and with every twirl more and more feathers appear until she is like fully a big black bird she's not yeah, a swan she's like this big black kind of vulturey bird and they, they do it once before, actually, uh, with the, the male dancer who turns uh, into, I don't know the ballet well enough, but who turns into something. But this, I think, the, the, it's worth doing it a second time because the camera really lingers on it. And it's just, I think it's an incredible effect and it's an incredible visual. Um, it yeah. just looks great. I'm quite eager to to finish the plot, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Because I'm really eager to talk about Natalie Portman. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, um, so this is the rest of the plot. Um, Before the curtain arises, Nina confronts Tomas and persuades him to give her back her starring role. But during the second act, Nina experiences yet another hallucination, causing her male dance partner to drop her. Thomas Tomas has had enough and orders Lily to take over as Odile. Nina confronts Lily. Lily turns into Nina in front of our very eyes. The two fight and Nina stabs Lily with a shard of glass and kills her. She hides the body and rejoins the ballet, playing a deal at such a pitch of perfection that she transforms, sorry, uh, that's right, into a woman-sized black swan. Uh, Having provoked a standing ovation and kissed Thomas with shocking passion, uh, Nina goes backstage to change to the white swan. And Lily comes to her dressing room door, fully alive, uh, generously congratulating her for her performance. Bewildered, Nina looks down and sees the shard of glass protruding from her own stomach. She goes back on stage to finish the ballet, which ends with Nina falling onto a mattress as the last special effect. When the cast gather round, they see the gushing pools of blood. Nina dies, having completed the perfect performance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, the reason that I'm so keen to talk about this is two things. But number one is Ms. Natalie Portman. Yeah. Um, this, I think, is one of the most accomplished and extraordinary movie performances of the 21st century so far. <laughs> you and your... Um, no, and I know <laughs> you, you, you like to pick me up on my hyperbole, but... A best actress Oscar has, has rarely been so well deserved. Yeah, um, she she Darren Aronofsky certainly with his his directing style and a lot of his movies, he kind of falls in love with whoever his lead is. Yeah, and basically the camera follows this person around <laughs> yeah. right up in their face throughout the whole movie. Um, every bit of emotion and and storytelling and whatever has essentially done through close ups on their face. Yeah. Um, and this is something he particularly does with Natalie Portman in this movie. She's carrying the whole thing. You, every, I feel she hits every emotional beat perfectly. Um, you always understand what's going on through her face yeah. and her reactions. And um, and I, I, one of the most iconic things, I, I, I would have a post of this on, a wall, on my wall, is when she's doing the Black Swan at the end and she kind of goes up to the camera pretty yeah. much. And kind of just poses, and it's just wow. She just looks so extraordinary, and and it's I just love her performance. Yeah, she is she is wonderful in it actually, and as you say, very well deserved. 
um, Oscar for it. She's she's not a dancer. No. She studied ballet moves for six months so she could get that the 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 head angles right and the the arm movements right. Um, but you can see pretty clearly, I think, where it's a real dancer dancing, and a, a lot of it was a real dancer with her face kind of superimposed at at the end. And I know you were saying you can be nitpicky about looking at digital effects. And those things, I, I think, do sometimes stand out. So I would say she's not a, okay. she's not a dancer, but she is a great actress and um, is, is given her full kind of props in this, I think. Yeah, sure. absolutely. And the other thing that really, um, you know, it, it's... And uh, um, to my shame, um, I, I didn't um, find time to look up the actual camera people, the people who are cam- operating the cameras, but that's swirling around mm-hmm. her... Um, when she's dancing, yeah, that constant movement. I mean, goodness knows what, how the camera operator is contorting him yeah. or herself in order to get in the position where they are. The camera is basically dancing around the dancers, yeah, and the camera movement. I just think is is astonishing, and and it's also clever because yeah. it's kind of like in the end, the, the, these aren't ballet dancers, yeah, uh, you know. So so it's a great way of getting around the fact that. Well, they're moving around, but they're not yeah. strictly doing proper ballet. Yeah, and um, and I I just love it. I just love it. It's just incredible technique. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's a really good movie, isn't it? It's a really, really good movie. It might be the best ballet movie ever. The best ballet movie ever. Ha! Of course not, because now we're going to talk about the red shoes. Who's in it? Yeah, so uh, The Red Shoes is a 1948 uh, movie um, written and directed by Michael Powell and Americ Pressburger, um, adapted from an 1845 fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen. The Red Shoes stars Moira Shearer as Victoria, Anton Walbrook as Boris Lermontov and Marcus Goring as Julian, and the astonishing Technicolor cinematography of the peerless uh, Jack Cardiff. So, Lindsay, what's the story? Vicky Page is a young ballet dancer who joins the ballet company of Boris Lermontov, the ultimate ballet producer and impresario. Also joining the company at the same time is young composer and conductor Julian Craster. Irina Boronskaya, the prima ballerina, is leaving the ballet company to get married. Lermontov decides that Vicky will be the next lead in his new ballet, The Red Shoes, scored by Julian. The Red Shoes Ballet tells the story of a young woman who is offered magical red shoes by an evil shoemaker. The shoes enable her to dance and dance, leaving her old life behind, including her lover. But she's unable to take them off and they force her to dance herself to death. I wonder if this story will have rel- any relevance to Vicky's own story. <laughs> Gary, what's wrong with this picture? Um, what's wrong with this picture is um, a pitch, a hysterical pitch of emotion. Uh, and an intensity about some about not just romance, but but about ballet, um, which is is almost too much. It's almost overwhelming, uh, and I'm going to do that as a compliment because I'm not going down the road of it's too much. It's um, one of my favourite movies of all time, and um, what I think is weird about it is. The power it has to make someone who has no interest in ballet, that would be me, <laughs> um, become obsessed with ballet for two hours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's the only way I can put it. Absolutely. I think um, what's weird about it, so as you mentioned, it's a Paul and Pressburger uh, movie. Many of you will, will know them, but a, a peerless partnership who, throughout the kind of 40s and 50s were just the uh, pearls in the British film industry, not always lauded as such at the time, because their films were slightly weird. This is 1948. This is just after the war. They're still rationing. London and many other cities are still bomb sites. And this is a film that is unashamedly about the beauty of art. Yeah. And one of the um, kind of extras I saw in the, the DVD version that I had said, this, this is a time, just after a time, where we're being told... You have to die for your country. You have to die for this political ideal. You have to die for this. This film says, no, die for your art. Yeah, that's what's yeah. worth dying for. And in 1948, you've got to think that's that's a radical message. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and and they they were not necessarily loved in their own in their own lifetime, um particularly by British critics. Um who um basically a lot of British critics kind of felt that what they did was too over the top, too extreme, um not authentic enough. Yeah. Um that there was a very much a critical wave at the time of um authentic films about authentic lives yeah that's what films should be it should be exactly what is happening um which of course is nonsense because film is film and it isn't ever uh, about exactly what's happening um but the flights of fancy and the magical realism of powell and pressburger upset a lot of critics Uh, you know a time when people were being told we need to, to buckle down, you know, the, this rationing uh, and, rationing, and, and, and even yeah. their even their films during the war are are kind of crazily colourful. And you mentioned Jack Cardiff, as as indeed you must. So he's a real technicolour pioneer. He's the director of photography on this and several of their other movies and became a de- director in his own right as well. I think the only film of his I've actually seen is uh Girl on a Motorcycle. Right, yeah. Yeah, uh, of course. So yeah, uh, yeah he did that. Yeah. I'm I'm now thinking there's another really really famous one that he did that I must have seen actually. Is Pandora and the Flying Van Dutchman? Is is, that his? is 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 that him? I don't know. Maybe he just photographed that. He anyway, maybe photographed it. Yeah. Th- that is equally kind of known for its beautiful color. But anyway, he was a technicolor expert, and the colors in this film are <laughs> just out of this world. They're, Honestly, they're kind of like it's more colorful than real life. Yeah. And I don't. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how that works, but it does. It starts with. Vicky's hair. Moira Shearer has this kind of tumble, this mane of bright red hair, yeah. which is just, you can really kind of pick it out on the screen. You can pick it out on the stage because of this hair. She wears this bright red lipstick. Now, see, bright red lipstick features in a couple of other mm. Paul and Pressburger films, quite quite famously, uh, Black Narcissus. Um, and I did ask a kind of uh, fashion historian friend of mine yesterday, did, on, did people only ever wear red lipstick? But she said, no, orange orange notes were very common. Ah, so okay. actually, the fact that this is a bright red lipstick is something. It, it is noteworthy. Right, okay. Um, but she's got this red hair. She's got this bright red lipstick. She wears these beautiful turquoises, these purples. The sky is a kind of blue. Um, we mentioned before um, about the Black Swan, about that kind of, you can tell the natural from the unnatural and sometimes it jars. I think here you can tell the natural from the unnatural in the best possible way. Yeah. A lot of it is is shot on location in, in Monte Carlo and the surrounding areas. Yeah. But there are bits where those same kind of scenes, there's a bit where she and Julian are kind of on the balcony, the kind of famed balcony that's obviously in a studio. And it looks maybe even better than the real life. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's that's the magic of them. They just... You know, their films are always written, produced and directed by both Emmerich Pressburger and Michael Powell. Generally, Emmerich Pressburger did the writing. Generally, Michael Powell did the directing. But it it was and remains a kind of shared endeavour. And what they do is just miraculously magic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. um, Oh, yeah, that was good. That was good, Lindsay. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Struggling to know what to add. Um, uh, Except I think while we're with what's weird... Um, one scene is, it's very weird for me to watch, but not because of camera movement mm. or too much colour or it's surreal or it's random or any of those yeah. normal things that make something weird. It depicts something which I'm not sure was true and is predicting the future. So it's early, very much like right at the beginning of the film, and it's basically a ballet concert and a bunch of young yeah. people who love ballet kind of rushing up these stairs, yeah. punching people out of the way in order to get the best seats. All of them look really dashing and, and yeah. in, interesting and bohemian. And and they're kind of, it's like a prediction of what a rock and go, going to a rock yeah. and roll gig is going to be like. Yeah. They're shouting at people. They're, 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 you know, almost not screaming, but cheering the names of yeah. the, the conductor the and the composer yeah. and, and, you know, whatever. And it's presenting going to a ballet as a rock and roll experience, yeah. except rock and roll in 1948 <laughs> yeah. and not being invented. And that's weird. I, I, just, I was mesmerized by that this time out. I, it really hit me. It's like, did people, did young people really, you know, was this true or yeah. was this actually just Powell and Pressburger's 
flight of fancy to to establish the intensity that is going to be brought to the whole film. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it was true. I think I read about it in, in other films as well, that, you know, students could get in for free or for a sixpence or something, but they all kind of crammed together in the sixpence area. So, of course, they had to rush in to get seats. So I think it was, I think it was true. Yeah. Okay, okay. And, you know, they, they sit there for hours and they take their sandwiches, which also happens in the film. <laughs> but another thing I love, love about this film and I love about kind of all, all their films is tiny little things happen that have no bearing on the film and yeah. yet they're, they're beautiful yeah. and wonderful. So yeah. when Julian is invited to become the kind of musical director stroke conductor of the company, he arrives at the stage door. He's got no idea where he's going and he just bumps into all these random people and he's like, how do I get to the stage? These people don't appear again. Yeah, you know, one one no. woman has a line that says, well, I'm only someone's mother so I don't get to know anything yeah. around here. And it's kind of like, okay, that's yeah. just random and it's just, to me... That's what makes their films uber realistic. There's just these little slices yeah. of life that yeah. play no part in the plot. You don't need to have yeah. them in. You know, a money man these days is going to cut that out or the director's yeah. going to cut that out and just yeah. say, like, we, we can't afford to film that. They leave it in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I guess I'd call, yeah, their magic is based around hyper-reality. Yeah. The, the, on, with the Red Shoes is a perfect example of a film where on the one hand you're going... Nothing about this film has any basis whatsoever in reality. It is, it, it, it's a fantasy. Yeah. It's based on a fairy tale, right? So, you know, the other hand, the world of the ballet and being backstage and the theatre and composing and, and working in, in this field feels like documentary. Yeah. But <laughs> and this it's, is... it's an amazing thing to pull off in the same yeah, and this is, this is a deliberate thing as well. So Emmerich Pressburger wrote this story kind of in the late 30s and took it to Alexander Korda, the big kind of famous mm. producer of, of um, at, at the time. Part of a, He was also a Hungarian emigre, as was Pressburger. And he introduced Pressburger to Powell and that's how they mm. started working, working together. So Emmerich Pressburger had written this film before. At this stage, they're, you know, they're saying to Michael Powell, let's make it, let's do it. And... At some point, Alexander Corda was married to Merle Oberon, the actress, and said, yeah, oh, this would be a great yeah. part for Merle. Michael Powell said, I'm not making this unless I make it with a ballerina. I'm not making this unless I make it with a real dancer. Yeah. And they had to really work on Moira Shearer to get her to agree because she kind of knew that this is the end of her stage career. Once she does this film, this is pretty much the end of her stage career right. as a, as a okay. ballerina. Okay. She did do other films. Um, so she really had to be persuaded into it. And it wasn't really a particularly great experience for her on the shoot right. because you know ballet dancers are used to they do their thing from start to finish this was like do that do that again do it yeah, again yeah, do it again yeah so it's a, it's a very different kind of process um and to get that feeling of backstage that that kind of that that feeling of this is a real backstage at the ballet there are there are over 50 real ballet dancers mm. in this um mm. that that take part in the red shoes ballet part in the middle mm. um the choreographer is the guy uh, who plays Ivan, who's like the lead mm, in the yeah. in the ballet. Uh, there's a real uh, well-known ballet dancer called Leon- Leonid Massin, mm. who plays, uh, what's his name? L- Lubov. He plays Lubov in the yeah. film. And he plays the kind of evil shoemaker in the mm. ballet of the Red Shoes. Um, this guy, I don't know if you know this, he was in his 50s when he's making this. Wow. That ballet dancer. Good Lord, 50s. you're joking. No. He's still amazing. Wow. So all these real life ballet practicing, uh, ballet dancers, real life people, they add to the kind of verisimilitude yeah. of being backstage Good at the ballet. Thank you. <laughs> 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 didn't, didn't, I thought I wasn't quite going to get it out, but it did get out there. Yeah. So. Oh, I'll tell you another little side thing um, before we, we should definitely get on to the next part of the plot yeah. because I want to start talking about things that are even better yeah. than what we've mentioned. Um, <laughs> um, Covent Garden. Yeah. It made me so nostalgic. I, I, you know, I, I spent some parts of my life. Covent Garden was quite key. It, you know, I worked pretty much around Covent Garden. Um, I once played a gig at Covent Garden mm-hmm. in a band. Um, you know, on and on and on. It had. It's it, it one of those places that kept that looms in my personal history. And there's something about watching the Red Shoes this time that made me so nostalgic for what mm. Covent Garden was. Yeah, and and really made me feel I was there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, uh, that just, just 
wonderful filmmaking. Yeah. So what happens next? Okay, so we've got up to this to the part where um, the Red Shoes Ballet has been a big success. The first night of the ballet is a huge success and Vicky is a star. Lermontov decides he's going to make her a great dancer and other ballets follow with the prospect of worldwide fame and fortune over the next few seasons. In the meantime, though, Vicky and Julian Craster, the conductor, have fallen in love. Lermontov Mm -hmm. has been clear from the start that dance and art are all-consuming. There's no room for romance. Also, he sees Vicky as kind of his own possession and own creation. So stung by their romance, he fires Julian. Vicky says, if he goes, I go. And so they leave the company. They get married. Julian is fulfilled in his work. He's working on an opera, but Vicky is not. She returns to Monte Carlo to visit an aunt while Julian is in London debuting his new opera. She's persuaded by Lermontov to dance the red shoes once more and is about to take to the stage when Julian bursts into the dressing room. Torn between the two men in her life and her love of dancing versus her love for Julian, Vicky puts on her red shoes and dances to her death in front of a train. Even when you say the plot, my whole body is tingling. It's really hard to explain almost how beautiful and passionate this all is. Um, But one performance I would really, really like to, to... talk about is Anton Walbrook. Oh, he's amazing. Oh my God. You know, because this, this, this is a kind of part, he's a monster and a a less good actor. Um, You've just, he's just a moustache twiddling villain. You know, he's just a one dimensional villain, but Boris Lermontov is not a one dimensional villain. He is ripped apart by his love for uh for for her and and his refusal to accept that it's love i disagree yeah no okay. i disagree okay i think um he says at one point cuz somebody says something about oh yes you know vicky and her and her charms and he says i know nothing of her charms and i care less he's lying you think he's lying, he's lying I, to I, himself and everybody else i don't else. think he is i think art art is what drives him art and ballet and perfection and i think he wants to possess her and that might be sexually, but for him, it's not a sexual drive. It's not a romantic love drive. He wants this creation. There's so some of the other ballets that she she dances in, and we see little snippets of them. But one of them is Coppelia, which is about a doll maker who he thinks brings a doll to life, but it's actually a real woman pretending to be a doll. I think that's the plot. I really not. I really not <laughs> up on that. Yeah, nonetheless, I know. nonetheless. Well nonetheless done, no, you're doing. It's a, well, it's yeah. a toy maker who makes a doll. And I think the reason that you incorporate that is to underline that Lermontov sees Vicky as something he's made or he's making. It's a creation. Um, I don't think he's sexually jealous of Julian Craster. I think he's jealous that her attention is divided. So I, I will absolutely go to my grave believing he's not in love with her. Lermontov okay. is not in love with her. Here's my my my, my refutation of that. Okay. Um, yes, he the, the power, the control, the creation. Yes, that's mm-hmm. absolutely all there. Uh, I'd also maybe agree that he's he's not. It isn't about sex. Um, but I absolutely hundred percent think he is in love with her. And what rips him apart at the end of the film, um, and all the way through the film, really, um, is that he's trapped himself in some space about this whole thing about dance. Dance is the most important thing in the world. Life, death, love, nothing else matters except the dance, the dance, the dance. Um, and a woman comes along that makes him feel completely differently. And he cannot accept him. He cannot accept his own feelings. And um, I think there are extraordinary scenes uh, from Anton Walbrook where you, you are watching a man that he, is literally ripping himself to bits over the fact that he... He's not fulfilling his own life script. So for me, the the giveaway of that is, and again, this is about Anton Walbrook's acting, um, is the end, the very end, where he basically goes on stage and announces that the star of The Red Shoes is dead. Mm. Um, And his voice is different. His, His whole, you can almost, his whole body is racked by grief. Um, it, it, it's he, he's 
and he's t- understanding that he has lost the love of his life over an inability to to see or feel or or understand who he is and what he feels. So um for me I mm. will go to my grave believing he is deeply in love with her and um and that uh he he's self-sabotaged his entire life. You're much more of a romantic than I am. Yeah, <laughs> and that probably says a lot about us, isn't it, really? About our, our visions of love. <laughs> i tell you one thing about uh, Lermontov, though. He is the snappiest dresser oh, in the world. I didn't even notice some... I mean, this is the fifth time. I think it's, it's either the fourth or fifth time I watched this film, and it was this time where I was... You know this this thing that films of the time had where, you know, hey, it's it's all about the female mm. and and, you know like costumiers like Edith Head and whatever and they have to give you a different costume for every single one of your entries and you know and and instead of the woman uh, you know the lead female it's Anton Warbrook in this movie who gets a different suit and a different style in every single scene his suits are amazing when he he, um, meets uh, Vicky again in Monte Carlo he meets her off the train when she comes to visit her aunt he's wearing this amazing suit great hat shades just the coolest looking thing when he's at home, he wears various kind of velvet robes of different lengths. Um, you know, one's a full length one, one's a kind of bum height one. He he wears this, you know, that kind of Cary Grant on holiday in the Riviera. <laughs> that, that kind of slacks, a really nice shirt and cravat. Looks amazing. He's, Looks he's absolutely <laughs> amazing in it. It's ridiculous. I, I honestly, he is the best dressed man in the film. Um, <laughs> he is. Uh, you know, he just is, and. Um, and, and one of the great things, actually, I really noticed this time round, and this is a, a not just the Red Shoes, but Powell and Pressburger movies. The men have great hair. Yeah. All the leading men have great hair. Yeah. These kind of dashing, swept back, flick hair, you know, kind of this, again, a bit pre-rock and roll. And, and uh, you know, Marcus Goring, who is also, by the way, fantastic in this movie. Um, uh, he's not like outshone or anything. He's brilliant. Um, and his hair's grey. Anton Warbrock's yeah, hair's grey. Yeah. You know, we're talking. You know, Roger Livesey in other films. His hair's grey. You always. know, it's always. You know, yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that about Marius Goring. I do think he's good in this, but I find the character of Julian Craster unbearable. Really, I don't really get why she'd fall in love with him. I think he's kind, just annoying. He's angry. He's as controlling as Lermontov oh, he in his is. little that's way. No, that's no, and also, no doubt about that. He's called Julian, which, you know, makes my class hackles rise up. <laughs> but also, I can't think, I can never be with anyone called Julian. I don't want to generalise. I'm sure some of them are nice mm. guys. But <laughs> partly I couldn't do it because I'm from Dundee and I can't be shouting, Julian, Julian. It just wouldn't work. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not a name I'm going to be comfortable saying. Yeah, and I get that. And um, did I call him Marcus Goring earlier? I think you did. Uh, Marius Goring. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, yes. No, I'm not saying he's a great character or that someone that I would like to know or meet. I'm saying Marius Goring is brilliant playing a really yeah. annoying, <laughs> controlling, um, slightly, priv- you know, entitled yeah. brat. Yeah. Absolutely, um, and and I do get your your thing of why why does she fall in love with him? Um, yeah, I don't know why why do people fall in love with <laughs> assholes all yeah. over the world? You know, it's it's they do. Um, but I think what's really clever about that is that happens off screen. It's yeah, like yeah. we see them having an argument, and then the next thing they're madly in love, and that happens off screen. And I think I don't know. I like to think it's like. Well, we can't make that happen on screen because he's such a tool. So well, let's just make there's it a scene on in the carriage, isn't there, where they're, they're, they're yeah, yeah, they're already in love at that point. And there's uh, and and it's a really it's a vital scene because the intimacy between yeah. them is established on screen, and and the, yeah. there is some chemistry, obviously, plainly yeah. between the two actors, and and so it's a vital little scene. But the the character that that is they're most interested in is Lermontov. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's him we see suffering, yeah. you know, in elegantly in, 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 in you know, <laughs> but but his, you know, I I feel like, I feel he's what I'm watching. I'm I'm authentically watching a, a man breaking. Yeah, uh, he really brings it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the ballet section itself, which is seventeen <sighs> minutes. They show it in its entirety, and it's wonderful. And 
I've only been to the ballet once. I have to say, I'm I'm very ignorant in real life about the ballet. I didn't particularly in, in, enjoy that myself that that time I mm-hmm. saw it live. Yeah. But this one, as you say, I'm I'm kind of hooked on it. Um, and so actually, what they don't do necessarily in the in the Black Swan is show any. They don't show that much of the story. They show a little bit of the actual ballet, but not yeah, very much. Uh, yeah. This is a 17 minute. Long... In the middle of the film, it's a show. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the ballet. Yeah. You know. Uh, and and the audience at home is the audience in the theatre yes, because what we yes. see initially is we see the whole of the stage, not a part of it, we see the whole of the stage, the curtains open and yeah. we're invited in. Yeah. You know, like at the start yeah. of a Baz Luhrmann film, actually. Yeah, the curtains yeah, yeah, open yeah. And we're invited in yeah, and, and, on, and onto that stage. And I, I think that the ballet visually is just incredible. So the... Um, Production designer on it was Hein Hockroth. Hein, oh. Hein Hockroth. Okay. He was a production designer. Now, he was a okay. painter. He was a, a kind of visual visual artist. Mm. And he'd never production designed before. Is that, is that, <laughs> is that the verb? Designed a production? Yeah, he'd never, he'd never been a production designer before. Yeah. Uh, he won the Oscar for this one. Wow, did he? Yeah. Wow. And what, what he did for the ballet was um, he painted a storyboard. He painted 120 wow. paintings. Wow. that were to become this 17-minute ballet. And he worked very closely with Jack Cardiff. Right. So Jack Cardiff would say, can you make the blue in that brighter? Because I know how we, we'll want that to be brighter on screen. Um, Attention to detail. Yeah. And and you can see it. You can see that on the, the thing. So there's 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 various kind of backgrounds, but there's one where... Um, Vicky in the in the red shoes is is on a wire and she's kind of doing some some flying work against this sky, this this kind of blue sky with clouds I think in it and it just looks immense mm. and the ballet itself is just full of such visual pleasures. So there's one point. So these these red shoes she sees them in a shop window, mm. um, and we understand through her dance that she would like to have them and that the shoemaker wants her to have them because he knows that they're enchanted. Mm. He doesn't want other girls to have them. He wants her to have them. And at some at one point he stands them up on point mm. like the empty shoes, mm. and she kind of tiptoes behind behind them. <laughs> I hope you can all hear that. That's, <laughs> that was really cool. on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> she tiptoes behind them, jumps into them, and they kind of automatically kind of do up round yeah. her legs. Yes, that's a it's fantastic. A great effect. effect. It's a great effect, and so so beautiful. Yeah. What, what do you like about the ballet? Because I've banged on a lot of ballet. Oh, um, what do I like about the ballet? Um, oh, what do I, where do I start? It's, I guess I'll start with the fact that this is the fourth time I've seen the movie. Um, um, so my expectations were high going in when I watched it this week. And uh, the ballet was where it started to blow all my expectations up and, and be even better than a, mm. a more extraordinary experience. I basically started crying around the beginning of the ballet yeah. and didn't stop crying till the end of the film. Uh, half overwhelmed by the beauty of everything and half completely drawn into the intensity of the emotions. And, um, and I guess what I love about the ballet, um, one of the great things is, as you say, so basically you're watching something on stage, but then they do these extraordinary things with depth. Yeah. So suddenly, when you know, you've gone from one minute where you're kind of on the front row watching a ballet, like a theatre experience, like Baz Luhrmann, yeah. like Chicago, whatever, yeah. and the next minute you're in the middle of the ballet watching a set that seems to go back about yeah. three hundred yards, yeah. um, as she you know, explores this world that she's in, and and literally my jaw dropped. I was just like, how did you, how did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> The editing as well must be just yeah. off the charts good. Yeah. Uh, Thelma, Sh- Sh- no, not Thelma Shoemaker. No, no okay. she's she's Scorsese's editor. She was married to Michael Powell. That's right. She didn't okay. work on his films. So oh, okay. she, she married him later on. Later right, on okay. Yeah. okay. But actually, while we're, while we're on her, as you know, Martin Scorsese is a massive, massive fan yes. of this uh, of this film and indeed of Powell and Pressburger. I think he introduced Thelma Schoonmaker to Michael Powell. Anyway. That's, uh, yeah, no, I uh, think now you've said that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and do you remember a few years back we saw an exhibition uh, about Martin Scorsese in the Berlin yeah, Film and TV Museum? Um, and it, it kind of toured around after that. And it was just one of the most amazing yeah. exhibitions ever. Yeah. Um, loads about his films, but also loads of his personal possessions. Now, he owns one of the pairs of the actual red shoes that were in this film because <laughs> wow. he's such a massive fan. Wow. 
And of course, him and Thelma Shoemaker were kind of instrumental in getting this film yeah. restored yeah. in 2000 and, uh, yeah. 2009. So I saw an interview with Thelma uh, Schoonmaker. Schoonmaker? I think <laughs> I've said her name four different times. Like, let's call <laughs> four her different Thelma. ways, yeah. 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 Uh, I saw an interview with, with her. So she's Scorsese's longtime editor. They worked together for kind of 40 years. Yeah. Um, and she was being interviewed and it was just about the time that Shutter Island was coming out and the interviewer said to her, so there's a, an homage to the red shoes in Shutter Island because right. apparently there's this shot of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio going up a spiral staircase yeah. and Vicky Vicky is coming down one to, to jump yeah. to the death later. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sort of um, buy that, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, but but the, the, the staircase itself turns and that's how they were able to get right. that shot. Right. So Thelma Schoonmacher says, yeah, that, that is that is in there. She says, but there's something in all of Martin's films that is a homage to really? Oh, says, Easter egg, hell. Whether it's it's just the use of red in Mean Streets or oh. whether it's something else, but there's something in all of his films that refers to that. He loves it wow. so much. Wow. And the red shoes specifically, not yeah. just Powell no, films in general. the red shoes. Red wow. shoes specifically. Okay, okay. So... <laughs> um, should we start talking about who's won you know, this particular <laughs> battle? <laughs> well, I think um, I just want to look and see if I've got any other few scenes that I want to, yeah, I want sure, to talk about. Sure. Actually, this is a good way to do it. Okay. I think, um, you know, we have raved about the Red Shoes and having made the joke that uh, Black, Black Swan was the best ballet film, of course it's not because this one knocks it out of the water. Like it knocks 90% of other films out of the water. Yeah. The, the Black Swan is great. Um and you can certainly see it as a an homage, a kind of a, a steal, a redo of yep. of um, uh, the red shoes. So there there are some shots that are repeated. For instance, there's there's a lot of kind of quite crazy close ups of Natalie Portman wearing kind of crazy yeah. ballet makeup, incredible eye makeup, and and that happens a lot in the red shoes. Yes, there's true. a spinning shot that happens in the red shoes where she's kind of pirouetting, and the camera is her eyes. And yeah. spin, spin, yeah. spin, yep. spin, spin. Yep. And so it's, she sees the audience, she doesn't see the audience. She sees yep. the audience, she doesn't see the audience. That happens in The Black Swan as well yep. when Vincent Cassell right. is watching a, a, a pirouette. So there's lots of these kind of echoes. It would be uh, it would be foolish to say that they're not deliberate, I, I think. you know, and mm. Surely he's seen and been influenced by the, by mm. the Red Shoes. And it's it's a very similar story, you know, the ambition, beauty, art. Mm. We'll... we'll, we'll be all encompassing and will take more of you than maybe you should be. Yeah. You should be able to to give it. But it's also it's a really old story, isn't it? That kind of you're going out and nobody. You got to come back a star. Yeah. It's Forty Second Street. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Oh, Forty Second. Yeah. What a great reference because yeah, there's some similar similarities yeah. between Forty Second Street and these two yeah, movies, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. There is. Yeah, yeah. There's an impresario. There's yeah. a, a love a love interest who's not the impresario. So yeah, yeah all that all that kind of stuff. I think for, for me, um, you know, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, the Red Shoes is, is a way superior film to Black Swan, and that is not an insult to the Black Swan. No, uh, I think absolutely. the Black Swan is 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 a, you know a key film of the 21st century so far, and deserved. A, it was a massive hit. Um, how he he made such an art movie into such a massive commercial hit is quite a thing, you yeah. know. Um, you know, Red Shoes was not a massive commercial hit. I think it did okay. Um, Oh. Not, not in Britain. No, no, you're right. Because um, it was made. It was the last film they made with the Rank organisation. Right. Rank organisation didn't didn't rate it. Ah. Absolutely didn't rate it. So it didn't give it a premiere here. Wow. Um, and it got very little distribution here. Uh, an American guy who owned a cinema. Yeah. Uh, owned a cinema in New York. Saw it here. Persuaded Rank to let him kind of ship a, a thing to uh, to New York. It played in New York at this little off Broadway theatre for two years. Wow. Two years, oh, week what in, a week out. Little story. It played, and and so suddenly it was massive, and it, it it became very, very, very big in America. And then gradually, it kind of other people kind of um, caught up with it. Yeah, that, that, what, what's that old cliche about? You know, um, profits not being uh, understood in yeah, their own land, yeah. kind of thing. I, I think that could be God, Michael Powell. Yeah, uh, totally misunderstood in his own country. I think. Yeah. Um, but um, go. What, what was I talking about? What did I get to? Uh, yeah, uh, saying whether the Red Shoes was. A, yeah, no. Uh, but basically, the Red Shoes is a far superior movie. Um, but that's not an insult of the Black Swan. Um, and I think what lies at its heart is Michael Power and Americ Pressburger adored ballet. Mm -hmm. Darren, Darren Aronofsky 
adores his own directing style and maybe, <laughs> and in this particular case, uh, Natalie Portman, uh, I'm not sure he's actually that interested in ballet. And I think that when you watch the two films close together, yeah. that really hits yeah. you in the face. Ballet in, is just a cipher for a story about mental disintegration in The Black yeah. Swan. Uh, the Red Shoes is a celebration of ballet as well as a tragedy. Yeah. An epic tragedy. I think that's right. Now that you said that, you can kind of see that in the passion. You can take it from the, the titles, can't you? The Black Swan, it's all really about the black and white and the duality. Mm. There is a scene where she has a red lipstick because, of course, she has to have a red, a red lipstick. But that's, that's muted colours. Mm. The Red mm. Shoes is just a riot of passion and heart through colour, yes. demonstrated through colour. Yeah. And so even, even in the titles... Uh, there's obviously a link there, you know, the, the the black and the red. There's obviously a link there. And it's just, yeah, The Red Shoes is a full-bodied masterpiece. The black <laughs> a full-bodied massage of... Yeah, uh, no, full-bodied full bodied masterpiece. Yes, it is. It's champagne. Yeah. The Black Swan is a great Prosecco. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah, nice. Okay, all right then. So, having said that, uh, what do you think? Um... Ballet shoes or pirouettes for our... our pirouettes. Pirouettes. Okay. So, Lindsay, um, for the Black Swan, uh, how many uh, pirouettes for quality and how many pirouettes for weirdness? Eight across the board. Okay. And I'm going to go with uh, eight for quality um, and seven for weird. Okay. Um, for the red shoes, uh, how many pirouettes for quality and how many uh, for weird? I'm going to go... Because although it is a it is a weird film in the history of British film, it's not weird for Paul and Pressburger because all the uh -huh. films are kind of weird. Okay. I'm going to go eight for weird, and I'm going to go ten pirouettes for quality, uh, because it's an absolute masterpiece. And like I was saying to you yesterday, this is only my sixth favourite Paul and Pressburger film, <laughs> and it's an that's absolute ridiculous. work of genius. That's ridiculous. Oh come on! No 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 no! I don't mean that's ridiculous. As mm. in that's a ridiculous <laughs> judgment. Is it? I mean. No, that's ridiculous, isn't it? That this, you know, that you're talking about a film as a masterpiece, a ten out of ten. Yeah. Uh, and it's only your sixth favorite <laughs> film, by, and that's how amazing they were. It, it, it is my second favorite. It is my second favorite Powell and Pressburger after A Matter of Life and Death. It's therefore a ten pirouettes uh, for quality. And I agree with you. Actually, watching it this time round, I thought, yeah, it's not as weird as some of their movies, though, is it? Um, it's just bloody brilliant um so i'm only going to give it six for weird all oh, right um but but it's if i could give more than 10 um if there was more than infinity uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I would i would give it to the red shoes yeah quite right too till next time till next time what's wrong with this picture is brought to you by lindsay mcculloch and gary mulholland and is recorded by russ keffert at audio egg Music composed and performed by Russ Kemp.